welcome back to Feminist Sonic Futures. My name is Catherine, and I'm in Music 1240S. This episode is entitled How We Compose Our Spaces. And the main theme for this episode is sonic spaces in academia in relation to composition and experiences of female composers or POC composers or both. And I am going to draw on some of the past readings we've had and my own experience as a female composer applying to music conservatories. So there are a couple of questions I want to keep in mind throughout this episode in relation to feminist sound studies that we talked about a couple of classes ago, and they are how is the sound world historically excluded women and marginalized people from sonic spaces, and how can we render audible POC sound workers, musicians, engineers, and composers? So to start off, I kind of want to go into a brief history on women in academic spaces in relation to music. So there's a really great piece written by Maria Bagona called A Look at Women's Status in Music Academia, and it basically examines the history of women and their relation to sonic spaces in on the collegiate level um, from 1970s to the present day. And basically what she does is she takes a bunch of statistics and studies um, from a bunch of different time periods and kind of weaves them all together in her piece. So the first kind of concrete set of statistics she uses to demonstrate the lack of women professors in music academia is a set of data from Adrian Block, um, who's a musicologist, and she did a study called College Report Number 5 and basically looked at post-secondary music facilities and what percentage of these facilities had female professors. And she found that in 1976, there were only 15.4% of music professors who were women. And 10 years later, in 1986, there were only 15.7% of women female professors. So there was really little progress in 10 years, which is kind of crazy. Um, And she commented on this and said, it is clear that women are not being promoted to fill these spaces, professor and associate professors, while men are being promoted to the top ranks faster than before. So this is pretty significant, and more recently, the Canadian Association of University Teachers put out a study in 2006 where they examined the status of females in academia and universities in Ontario, and they found that 40 men had full-rank positions as professors, but only 11 women total were music professors, which is pretty crazy. And these same numbers pretty much accurately represent how things are in U.S. academic institutions. And another leading, I guess, female scholar, female music scholar? I don't really know. But female scholar in music is Barbara Payne, and she wrote an article called The Gender Gap, And in her article, she found that females receive 15% less salary at U.S. universities in music. Um, And she has a quote where she says, Likewise, the fact that women shy away from the composition and gravitate towards keyboard and voice, as well as music education, speaks to the idea that women still do not identify with the intellectual endeavors and remain in female-typecasted fields. So I want to add on to that by discussing the reading Pink Noises by Tara Rogers, uh, specifically the part where she interviews Pauline Oliveros, who is a prolific female composer, and she asks her the question, 
I've done some workshops for women and girls different places around the country, teaching the basics of recording, and there never seems to be a shortage of interest. It's more that they haven't been encouraged to work with the tools. And she replies to this with, they haven't been encouraged. They haven't been supported to do it. And that just continues. That boys are much more supported to do techie stuff than girls. And girls quickly learn to restrain themselves from being interested in things like that. So it's a problem which I've grappled with, trying to raise consciousness and try to change things, but it's not easy. Because you run up against the canon of Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, Brahms, how can you not recognize this masterful music? Millions of people are educated to that. So there's a very strong force field. In the orchestra repertoire, they play that stuff over and over. I think the socialization that Pauline Oliveros is heading on is really the main deterrence of females from the composition world and it's something that I've noticed too and it kind of continues all the way through until academia and it's why there's such a shortage of female music composition professors and students. Switching gears a little bit I want to talk about my own composition mentor who guided me through our high school and into college in composition. Her name is Rina Esmael, she's based in LA, she's an Indian American composer, she's really incredible, she just received her PhD in composition at Yale last year, which is awesome, and she's really been a true role model to me, and she's such an amazing figure in contemporary composition, because first of all, she focuses on infusing Indian music with traditional Western music in her work, so she's created these amazing hybrid pieces um, of music. But she is also someone that is actively pushing to uplift women and people of color and bring them into the space of composition and classical music. So what Rena does reminded me of the transgender VHS interview in Women in Sound, where transgender VHS talked about creating a space for minorities and POC to come to the front of the concert venues in order to give more spatial priority to them. And obviously, like this is a very physical space, but I think what Rena does in the realm of composition definitely like reflects those values of inclusivity and diversity and really uplifting marginalized people and bringing them into the world of classical music. So Rena also reminds me of Pamela Z, specifically from her article, A Tool is a Tool, and how she discussed the eight-week workshop she would give to low-income women in technology and composition. And she says, the workshops focused on both sound and performance. I taught women about the physics of sound, digital and analog audio techniques, audio art, and performance. In groups, we worked on sound performances using found objects, scores, voice, gesture. And I worked with them one-on-one -on -one in digital sound editing on Mac. And I taught them to use devices like a digital sampler, an analog mixing board, and she goes on. But basically the gist of it is she is imparting her expertise and her knowledge to a group that may have not have access to that. And Rena does this in so many ways, but one of the big things she does, which is incredible, is she's a composer in residence for this program called Street Symphony, which is basically a program where Musicians um, from Skid Row who are homeless, they come together once a week and they play orchestral music um, and she composes for them and she's also taked on some of the musicians as her own pupils. 
So I wanted to share the mission statement on the Street Symphony website because I think it relates to a lot of what we've been discussing in our class. So these are their goals. Create spaces for communities affected by homelessness and incarceration to share stories, deepen relationships, and illuminate our humanity through transformative musical experiences. And create pathways for professional and emerging musicians to show up, build relationships, and connect with communities we serve through our artistry. Again, I think what's so powerful about this is the transfer of knowledge from professional musicians and experts to, you know, groups of people that may not have access to these pockets of knowledge. What Rena's doing is obviously really cool, and in a way, she did this for me because when I met her for the first time, when I was a sophomore in high school in this young composers program, I was not a seasoned composer at all. I loved it, but I wasn't that good yet and she really helped me hone in on my skills and kind of guide me throughout high school and and eventually into college. So for the second half of this podcast I want to talk about my own experience as a female composer and an Asian American applying to conservatories and universities because I think that my experiences really do illuminate the problems that these academic spaces have. So yeah, I'm just going to go through my journey and some of the reflections I had while I was going through this really big process in my life. When I was a junior in high school, I decided that I wanted to apply to universities with conservatories so I could pursue music along with another academic field of my choice. And my senior year, that's pretty much what I did. I applied to a bunch of universities with conservatories. Rena helped me a lot. She helped me polish a lot of my scores and she helped me submit a lot of my material, which was so awesome of her. And eventually I started getting audition interviews, which was really cool. So that made it meant that I made the first round of the process. And soon enough, I was flying to a bunch of different schools and having these interviews, which was really exciting, but also super nerve-wracking at the same time. You know, at the time when I was doing these auditions, I was 17 or 18 years old, so I was really, really young and just didn't really know what to expect. So the first, the very first audition I had was at Indiana University, the Jacobs School of Music, and basically I had a meeting with the composition faculty, and when I first walked into the room, I mean, I had done research on these people, but it was, like, very apparent to me. Like, they were all men. Like, no females. All men, mostly white. There's, like, one Asian man. And they were all, you know, pretty old professors. And they were so nice and, like, genuinely great people and very friendly and kind. But it just, like, really struck me. And then after I went to a party, or not party, like a refreshment kind of deal for students that were applying and current students at the school and professors in the composition area and I felt so uncomfortable because everyone around me like they were all men and I was just like didn't really know what to do and I ended up leaving early because I just felt so out of place and I just felt like I couldn't really relate to anyone in the room even though I was also a composer it was just really strange My next couple auditions were slightly better, 
you know, there was one school I auditioned at where there was one woman of color who was a professor, so that was something, you know, not great, but I held on to that. My last audition was slightly different. So this last audition was at a school that was my very top choice, like hands down I would go here if I got in. Unfortunately, they only had three slots for composers in their music program, so the chances were pretty slim, but I had a lengthy conversation with the professor, and he had like an interesting take on this. I was a little bit confused, but I, I kind of understood his logic. I kind of didn't. And we, we basically talked about how there are really no um, female composers in college music programs, which is a given. And he was really excited that like I was a female composer and someone that was applying to all these schools. And he really, you know, pushed that. But he was also like, you know, if we take you, it is solely based on just your merit. And we are not looking at your gender. Like, we are excited that you are a female, but we're not looking at your gender. And I, I understand that in a way, and I get it, and, like, I guess that would have made me feel better, or that was supposed to make me feel better. I'm not really sure. But in a way, like, I don't know. That kind of felt like a gender blindness almost. Like, kind of almost sexism. I don't even know if that's a real term, but that's how it felt like to me because it told me they weren't actively trying to make space for females in the situation and they were simply looking at merit which I get but at the same time like there's just statistically more men who are good composers because there are more men that are composers. I didn't end up getting into the school which was fine because I actually ended up getting into a better school which was Brown and I know Brown isn't a conservatory but I really liked their music department, especially when I visited and I got to meet Arlene Cole and Wang Liu and other faculty in the program. And everyone just seemed really great. And it seemed more diverse um, in terms of like the department, but also in terms of the, the entire school and the student body from so many of the other schools I had visited. And I just loved it. And yeah, I mean, and now I'm here. So I guess what I learned from these audition experiences is that the academic world of music is really not diverse at all. And it really was a culture shock to me because I come from Los Angeles, which is an incredibly diverse city, and all of the music scenes I've been a part of in LA have always been diverse. And it was just so strange to be the only women in these white male elitist spaces. Okay, so obviously there's a lot of things that need to be changed about these structures. And there's a lot of things that people are doing to actively change them. For one, I talked about Rena and her working with the Street Symphony and creating spaces for homeless people and incarcerated people to learn from professional musicians, which is awesome. I was also doing some research um, and I found a women's composer database, which is like a huge collective of female composers and orchestras and various programmers. And the purpose of it is to make space for um, more diverse programming um, oriented towards female composers, which is really awesome. Um, and so I think stuff like that is like are ways that we can open up this sonic space. Um, and also like informal networks of women helping each other out. 
like Rena helping, you know, prepare me for these auditions in these elite spaces. Um, and lastly, I think one of, you know, the main things we can do as Brown students is really advocate for more diverse faculty and talking to board members and administration and trying to figure out, you know, how we can get professors that encompass a wide range of, you know, gendered and racial experiences to make our community just more diverse and richer. We, the students, are the force of this institutional change in our academic spaces, which is really exciting. And that's pretty much all I had for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed the episode and this class. I know I definitely did. And I will see you guys all again soon. Oh, and one last thing. The music I use in this podcast is the September Song by Agnes Obel. Agnes Obel is a really amazing multi-instrumentalist, female composer, and singer-songwriter. So you should all check her out.